it was just a tense battle the whole time. And I mean, the, the comebacks. Yeah. The people that, that fell to the back and rose to the top again. It was amazing watching that. Yes, I do want to. And I don't know that we can put this in the episode, so do it this if you will. But I'm Buck. I'm Caroline. This is Gravel Trap F1. After a year of hot anticipation, the Las Vegas Grand Prix finally happened on a cold night, and there's a lot to talk about. And our co-host Christina was actually in attendance, but couldn't make today's recording, so I'll be filling in. But she'll join us a little later in the episode to talk about being at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Just like the race weekend, this episode won't go exactly as planned. That's right. We're going to talk Vegas the whole time. The wild and rich history, as well as our thoughts about this exciting new version. Viva la podcast! This is the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. But we've heard in the past, you know, people, as people have been talking about the Las Vegas Grand Prix coming along, they've raced in Vegas before. It's not the first ever. But I was like, let's dive into that. Okay, let's. I never deep dive into haters' comments, but I said, this time, swan dive. Here we go into <laughs> the haters' comments. Let's see when Formula One has been in Las Vegas before. And they have. In 1981 and 1982. And so for those of us out there, Buck, why did you point to yourself in 1981 and 1982? I was born in 1981. Hey, amazing. Uh, I thought you were being like, I was there. And I was like, there's no way. Uh, But yes, back in 1981, it was not called the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It was called the Caesars Palace Grand Prix. It was held on October 17th, 1981, so maybe not quite so cold. And it was the 15th and final race of that year's FIA championship, Formula One championship. So it was the season closer. Can you imagine finishing in October, October 17th? We would have been done for over a month now. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I think some people probably would relish in that these days. <laughs> ah, yes. I'm, I have no doubt. But back then, it was a 75-lap race, and it was won by Alan Jones driving a Williams Ford, which, uh, side note, Ford is coming back into F1. Yay, yay. And Frenchman Alan Prost was in second in his Renault, and Italian Bruno Giacomelli came in third in Alfa Romeo. The Brazilian Nelson Piquet, who some of us may recognize, finished fifth and took the driver's championship. But we'll get into that. This was the final win by an Australian driver, which, side note, Alan Jones, the winner, was an Australian, is an Australian, was an Australian, until Mark Webber won the 2009 German Grand Prix. So this was the third year in succession that the U.S. had hosted the final round of the Formula One World Championship. However... It took place, it did not previously take place in Las Vegas. It instead took place in Watkins Glen in upstate New York. It used to take place there the two years prior. And after having it on the, well, it was there for 20 years, but it was the season closer for the last 
two years prior to 1981. Oh. And then after 20 years on the Grand Prix schedule, the organizers at Watkins Glen were unable to fill the financial obligations for 1981, which is how they created a track on the parking lot of the Caesars Palace Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. It had a smooth service and provided speeds averaging around 100 miles an hour, which was a lot. And it had a lot of overtaking, overtaking opportunities. However, the direction that they had the drivers going in was counterclockwise, which was unusual at the time. And it strained the driver's necks more. So this combined with the desert heat meant that the driver's endurance was tested to the extreme all weekend, which we don't know anything about. After seeing them in Qatar this year, what would we know about seeing drivers in physical distress? <laughs> Nothing. Anyways, side. That was a little sidebar. Even in practice, in 1981, Nelson Piquet suffered noticeably and actually became physically sick during the 1981 uh, Caesars Palace Grand Prix practice session. So, Take that into account. As oh, they got go. to have practice sessions? Yes, they were having practice back then at this one because it was the first time. So I'm sure it needed to happen. LOL. TBT to this past weekend where practice was optional, obviously, <laughs> according to the track and how it felt. But we'll get into that, I've heard. But So going into this race, here's what's important about 1981 and the Drivers' Championship. I'm going to need you guys to really zone in with me because I'm going to do my best to explain it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stick with me. Going into the race, there were three drivers in contention for the world championship that year. Three drivers in contention. It's going to give us all flashbacks to 2021. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through. Argentine Carlos Reutemann was driving, in a, was driving for Williams Ford. He had 49 points. And he had won two races so far that year. Brazilian Nelson Piquet was driving the Brabham Ford and had 48 points and had won three races that year. So they're separated by one point. Frenchman's Jacques Lafitte was driving the Laguerre Matra and had an outside chance of 43 points. So there were five points separating him and Nelson Piquet. And he had won two races, including the most recent race before Las Vegas in Canada. So he had a bit of a hot streak going. So we have six points separating the top three. Let's take a look at what that meant for the metrics of this race and who needed to finish where to clinch it. Mind you, don't forget, this was the season closer. This was it. This was, the, this was the decider. There was one point between first and second, five points between second and third. Lafitte, who was in third, Frenchman, that had 43 points, needed to win this race with Reutemann, who was in first, finishing no higher than fourth, and PK no higher than third. Or he needed to finish in second with neither Reutemann or PK finishing in the top six at all. So we're going to kind of focus in on Lafitte because I think his, his situation is a good place to be in to kind of see how it, it rounds off everybody else. I just want to point out, because I don't think you mentioned it, the point system, if I'm reading this right, first place was nine points, second place was six points, third place was four points, then it goes three, two, one, and that's it. You only get points for the top six? 
Yes. Okay. Just so it's a little different. And that's right. why that's why I'm trying to kind of break it down right. so that we can see how narrow this really was. Because to us, we're like, oh, you know, five points ahead, five points ahead. It's slim. It's no, it's actually possible. So Carlos Reutemann, Argentine, in first with 49 points. Nelson Piquet, Brazilian, in second with 48 points. Jacques Lafitte, French, in third with 43 points. Here we go to Las Vegas. So Lafitte needed to win this race with Reutemann in first, who is in the championship first, finishing no higher than fourth, and Piquet no higher than third. Or Lafitte needed to finish second with neither Reutemann nor Piquet finishing at all in the top six. If Lafitte won with Piquet in third and Reutemann in fourth, right, all three of them would have finished with an even 52 points, which was possible. They would have tied there at the end, which then you ask yourself, what's going to happen? It's the last race and they're all tied for first. We all asked ourselves that question going into Abu Dhabi 2021, didn't we? Yes, we did. And here's what would happen. The Frenchman, Mr. Lafitte, would win the championship on a tie break because he would have had the same number of wins as PK in second, but more second place finishes than the Brazilian. And so he would have won. That's so this back, was right. Yes, this was really, really crazy going into this last race. There was a lot of possibilities, and he would also win the championship, Lafitte, if he finished second with neither Reutemann nor PK scoring. Duh, obviously. And he and Reutemann would then have both for, both have forty nine points at that time, same number of wins and second places, but he would have had more third places than Reutemann. So Lafitte was actually feeling pretty hot, like he had a chance because he had just won in Canada. All right. Are we all still with me? Yes. Because there's more drama to come. Qualifying had some drama. Those were my snaps. I was doing a little Z snap formation, y'all, because it got spicy in Vegas in 1981. Mind you, we are used to a grid of 20 drivers. This year, there were 30 drivers, but only 24 of them qualified for the race. But even still, that's four more than we currently deal with. The Williams drivers, Alan Jones from Australia and Reutemann, who's first in the championship right now, were the fastest from the start of the first practice with points leader Reutemann, the faster of the two. Later, Australian Jones became the only other driver to break the one minute, 18 seconds in qualifying. And it came to be that the starting front row was a Williams lockout. Wouldn't we have loved to have seen that this weekend? Can you yeah. imagine how insane it would have been to have had a Williams lockout this weekend? But regardless, the Williams still did really, really well. So I don't want to like downplay how well the Williams oh, yeah. did. They did great. We love Williams in Vegas. Clearly they have a history there. So they're on a, in a one-two lockout. Alan Jones, mind you, not really in the running at all for the driver's championship. So the big question was, is he going to help his teammate Reutemann to win it, to clinch it, to end it and win the whole thing? Reutemann was not expecting any help winning the championship from his teammate Jones. His teammate Jones said, quote, I don't see how I can help him. I would not go holding up people as I am a member of the British Commonwealth, Australia specifically, and I would consider that unsporting. 
Can you imagine if someone had said that today? Hold on. His teammate. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't go full Checo on anybody no. because that would... How he would... thinks that would be unsporting. As a member of the British Commonwealth, which I thought was a very interesting little addition that he threw in there. Ungentlemanly. I, I could see that, but he's holding himself to a high standard. But makes me question, like, what, what what is their perception of racing at that point in history that you go fast, but you don't use any other defensive tactics? You just go fast. Okay. So uh, let's take a look at the race. We've established that Roybin's not getting any help from Jones. Every man for himself. In the race on Saturday, mind you, they raced on Saturday, which they also did that this time around, so it must be a Vegas thing. Jones, who started in P2, jumped off the line into the lead, passing Reutemann, who was in P1. Reutemann was then also passed by Villeneuve and Alain Prost and Bruno Giacomelli. And Reutemann finished the first lap in fifth which is looking really good for our friend from France, Mr. Lafitte. By the end of lap two, Jones had a five-second lead on everyone else. Yeah, Mr. Australia. So further down the field, Patrick Tombe lost control of his car, hitting a tire wall positioned ahead of a concrete barrier with a force high enough to tear off the entire front of his car. Luckily, Tambay escaped with only minor injuries. He was fine. Prost passed Villeneuve on lap three but could not get close enough to challenge Jones for the lead. And Villeneuve, meanwhile, kept a line of cars behind him in true DRS train style as he fought off the advances of Giacomelli. So this allowed American boy Mario Andretti, who started P10, to move right on to PK's tail, PK who started P4, and he was trying to overtake Reutemann. All of this is looking great for our friend from France Lafitte. The Ferrari team was trying to decide whether to call Villeneuve in on lap 23 because apparently he had been disqualified for lining up on the grid improperly. So he's out here fighting for his life, but he had lined up improperly and they were going to DQ him for it. But then randomly he pulled off the track with an engine fire. So the point was moot. So Villeneuve did not finish the race on lap 30 crowd favorite Andretti also ended up retiring from the race and he was in fourth place with a broken suspension so sad so now things are starting to look a little good for Reutemann because all the people in front of him are going down so with 15 laps to go and a 40 second lead over Prost Jones began began to pace himself to the finish Giacomelli was third having worked his way all the way back up after spinning from fourth to tenth which was not looking good for our Frenchman so Lafitte ended up taking sixth place and Giacomelli missed taking second from Prost because he had failing tires and he lost out by a few car lengths. It was really close near the end, but it also meant that PK Nelson PK won the championship, took 15 minutes to recover from heat exhaustion after making it to the finish and collected the two points for fifth place and was then crowned the world champion. What a crazy time. What a crazy time it was in 1981. Then they returned to 1982. It was the last, once again, the season closer. And it was won by Michelle Alberto driving the Terrell Ford. 
And it was his first victory since Monaco in 1978. And it was the last race for Mario Andretti that he raced in Formula One. And it was also the last race for the Enzyme and Fittipaldi teams. So a lot of exciting stuff has happened in Vegas before. I can't say I'm surprised that a lot of exciting stuff happened this time around. That's your brief history of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you stayed with me. There was a lot of names and a lot of numbers in there. But I wish I could have seen it. I mean, I wish I could have been there to see it. I can't imagine how on the edge of their seats everybody was for that one. I had no idea. I've heard and read things about that particular track and... Most of it centered around how it was a poorly designed track and kind of boring to watch and silly and not very challenging for the drivers and stuff like that. It was it mainly mainly dealt with the the design of the track. And I've never heard this. And this was such an exciting wrap up to a season that maybe that excitement blurred out the fact that the track was kind of blah. The track was nuts. I mean, clearly... The track was really difficult on their bodies. The heat exhaustion was extreme and they didn't have a lot of the technology that we have today that helps to cool them down and things. Um, However, that was some hard, there was some hard racing that was happening at the Las Vegas Grand Prix in 1981. Actually, excuse me, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix in 1981. Uh, My memory serves, it's shaped like the letter E and with the cars being as small as they were, it must've felt like a go-kart track. It must have. An expanded go-kart track. I think that I remember reading that in 1982, when they returned, they did have like an indie cart support race or something while they were there, which I thought was very interesting. I was like, I don't even know what an indie cart is, but... Oh, cart. Yeah, cart, C-A-R-T. So C-A-R-T, C-A-R-T, that... I, I'm not an expert on this at all, but I know that what happened was um, a faction split off from the IndyCar world and became kart racing. And they were almost identical cars. Oh. In fact, if you remember that movie with Sylvester Stallone, where he was an IndyCar driver, it was actually the yes. kart series that wasn't IndyCar. Huh. And they, they they were divided for a while. And I don't know if they came back together or one of them disbanded. Oh, obviously, kart disbanded. I don't know if it blended or disbanded either way. But yeah, they were similar but different. Well, they joined in 1982 when Formula One was there, which was pretty cool. That's something that people talk about, like trying to get into Indy after getting into F1. I wonder if Indy and F1 would ever do the same track. I think that would be cool. There's a lot of ways that you could do it too, because I also liked what they did in Monza, where they did the whole U.S. against the world, and they pitted the Indy cars versus the Formula One cars in more of an endurance-style race, which I don't think you would need to go endurance with it. I feel like that was adding in maybe too much of an extra element. But I think it would be interesting to, if not put them in the same race, put them in the same weekend. I think that would be really exciting. Yeah, I I wasn't saying same race, but I I do think the same. Like if you took Indy next where Jamie Chadwick races and had them be a support race for an F1 weekend. That'd be so cool. All right. Well, what are you hitting us with today for the checkered flag? I don't have anything planned other than just sit here and gab about the, the Vegas drama, really. 
I just let's talk about Vegas. I am very upset at, and I'm not sure who yet. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset at someone. At someone. <laughs> Unidentified. <laughs> it, it's a very large population, I think. But it's basically, I did not like the mass amounts of negativity rolling into it that was so clearly like this predetermined hate. It was this hate that a year ago, they're like, oh, this is stupid. Oh, I don't like this. This is going to suck. And then they waited till the first little thing went wrong and then acted like it was, you know, the end of the world. They they acted Mm -hmm. like, you know, there was some massive atrocity. Like, for instance, how many people, how many times did you hear going, this is the worst thing that happened to Vegas? I don't know about the worst thing that happened to Vegas, but the first thing that happened like in the Las Vegas that could, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. A lot of times. You heard people say stuff like that. Yeah. In a city where somebody kicked open a window and just opened fire on a concert. I know. We're going to say that this is the worst thing. Like that kind of hyperbole really bothered me because it's, it's an event city Mm -hmm. and this is a massive event. The people living there complaining about their lives were being disrupted a little bit. And it's like you live in the entertainment capital of, you know, America, if not the world or whatever it wants to call itself. There was just so much complaining and and about being inconvenienced for whether it be a few weeks or a few months, because obviously it took a while to build. And then the day it happens, you know, a drain cover pops up and everyone just acts like, you know, the sky is falling, and even Max Verstappen and his complaining all the way through it, juxtaposed with his beaming smile and singing in the car at the end of the race, being like, "Oh, this was so much fun! Oh, I loved it!" Oh, like, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm upset about that. I feel like the part about the drain cover debacle that bothers me is well, I have two points. The first. Mm-hmm is that Carlos was penalized for it and mm-hmm. he was not driving in an unsafe manner. He didn't do anything wrong. It was completely unwarranted. And it's not something that you can blame on the car. Like, I don't think that somebody should, if, if their battery just randomly dies or they have a leak or they have an engine issue and they need to replace their engine or they need to replace their battery because of an internal issue mm-hmm. that happened, on on without anything to do with from the exterior then yeah you should take a penalty for that because that's a manufacturing issue but this i mean this is like a natural disaster. i mean this is like lightning striking and then being like ah yes how dare you get struck by lightning you will be penalized and so i don't i did not feel that that was fair to him And that's my first point. My second point is I have no issue with the pomp and circumstance. I have no issue with the rah-rah. It's going to be have opening ceremonies. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be so wild. And like, I think that we all saw that coming. So I don't think you can act infuriated or surprised by it because I feel like we've all been adequately prepared. But my issue was going to be if the track was not ready and if the track was not safe, because I think that you can do all the other rah-rah, pop and circumstance, so long as things are still safe and prepared for the event that everybody is there for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with the barriers in Miami last year and Esteban almost breaking his neck when he 
crashed into them. I think that was an oversight. I don't think that should have happened. I think that there was some so much excitement about the race coming for the first time that we overlooked some safety things. And I was saying, I really, really, really hope that doesn't happen in Vegas because it's not fair to focus more on the party than on the safety. Now, if they've given the safety 100%, then go focus on the party. It's not letting the fluff be the focus, but letting your first focus and your first priority being safety. And mm-hmm. then beyond that, have all the fun you want. So I did feel like the drain cover did fit into that a little bit. Like, come on, guys. We race at other street circuits all over the world. Why has this not happened at any of those? So I, I just want to point out, one, it wasn't that it wasn't secured. Okay. It was a failure of the safety system, not an oversight. Right. Now, so so could they have adequately tested it? I think they should have had F1 cars, like last year's cars, brought in and had test drivers running that track for days before. And because that's the most adequate comparison to this year's cars in terms of the ground effect and suction that it's going to create. Mm-hmm. Whether they had the time or the ability or money to do that or no one thought of it, they may, may have found this. But I don't know. <clears throat> it's not it's not negligence. I don't think I don't think that they were being negligent. I don't right. think that they were, you know, ah, check, check, check. All right, let's move on to the party. I I do I I just think that there was a lot of pressure on everybody involved in the building to get it done mm-hmm. in time and to get it done right. And so I actually really like your proposal to have to have had cars go in and test over it. I mean, we've talked about this. We talked about this in Brazil. We talked about this in in Mexico. They used to do it where the first race didn't count in a new place and they were doing it like a test run. And I think that there's a lot of value to that. I mean, did this race count? (laughs) Yes, it counted. It, it, I mean, I'm just saying the championships were locked up. Like it, 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 yeah, there's a battle for second and third and all that. And, I, I I think Mercedes and Ferrari going at you know having their little battle right now is interesting mm-hmm. to watch. But other than that, yeah, the, the the big ones were locked up. Um, the other thing about that night, everyone's complaining about being kicked out at one thirty in the morning and not getting to stick ar- stick around for the second the practice. Yeah, yeah. One event staff have to run that place and they've been on shift for X number of hours mm-hmm. telling them they now have to stay till four in the morning to staff an event so that these people can stay is a little unreasonable. They've been on shift entertaining these people all the way until they were asked to leave at one thirty. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you're running an event with that many people and that many moving parts and the logistics of it. And again, let me, I, I have a degree in events like that's my background. So I I'm passionate about these things. That's I, I think they're not giving the people that are upset about that are not giving consideration to the, the event still needs to unfold. The fact that a lawsuit dropped the next day over this, like makes me a little embarrassed as an American that the whole world is not going. That's so American that they just filed a class action lawsuit instantly. Who were the predatory ambulance chasing lawyers that were standing by with the paperwork? Like, that's not 
a class action lawsuit in a couple hours, like you had to have something prepared in advance yeah. to, to, to file that. So I, I think that's interesting to me, but there's a woman on Instagram. I saw this morning spreading rumors that the reason they left the event open till one thirty and then waited till the last minute to kick him out was for alcohol sales. Hmm. What are your thoughts on the $200 voucher? Was that adequate? If you're going to kick them out, then I think that they are entitled to adequate compensation, recompensation, because they paid for a ticket to see a session of Formula One cars on the track. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying they should get a full refund because they still saw if he won or the 10 minutes of it, and they still saw you know, the rest of the racing for the weekend. So I think that it should not have been reimbursed in merchandising um, vouchers. I think that it should have been reimbursed to their, whatever they bought their tickets with, because I don't really feel that that was quite fair because then it's like a, well, we win, win. Because we're go- they're going to have too much of the merch anyway. I think they knew they were going to have too much. They were not going to sell out of all that merch. That's a good and, point. No, that's a good point. And so they were like, well, we're not going to have anything to do with this anyway. Mm-hmm. Might as well let this be the appeasing factor. And I think that it, it, it should have been monetary. It shouldn't have been a voucher. I'm sorry. See, I'm different. I... I, there's a lot of merch at the Austin race that I would have bought if it weren't $90 for a ball cap. Mm-hmm. So for me, it'd be kind of a win. I'd be like, hey, I wanted to buy some merch and I probably would have spent some money on it. Now I get it for free. Okay. I don't want to sit here and and for it to sound like I'm just bashing Vegas. I actually think they did a really good job. I think amazing. it was a really great race. I've heard that people had an amazing time. And I think that the again my my only issues was that carlos was penalized i'm i'm like i can i can understand a freak accident happening at a racetrack that happens it's part of the deal but when a freak accident happens at no fault of your own or anyone else's i don't think that you should penalize the innocent person i meant to ask you about this earlier i agree act of God, act of terrorism, like say some angry protesters broke into the paddock and just set his mm-hmm. garage on fire and mm-hmm. his car got burned up and he needed a, a, they needed to literally build out a new car. The penalty isn't for what happened. It's right. for, okay, now you're on the track with a fresh... The destruction it caused. Well, no, because the penalty... he, didn't, he didn't have a battery. Like his battery wouldn't work anymore. So they had to right, replace right. it. So it's it's not even about the destruction. It's about hey, you're now go you're going on track with a fresh engine, so that's what the penalty is for. It's not about it, it, it and that it puts the stewards in a weird position because it's like hey, we get it. Like that is not your fault that your engine got destroyed. For the other nineteen cars on the grid to now have to go up against you with a fresh engine, how do we correct for that? I'm not agreeing with ten places. I think maybe five. Yeah. It would have been reasonable. I think that would have been a good compromise because it was outside of his control. It wasn't a failure. It was completely, I agree. you know, act of physics. Like, Freak accident. What, what do you think the response from the rest of the grid would have been if he was not penalized at all? 
I don't have to guess what their response would be. I think <laughs> they'd be ticked. But I also think that we've seen plenty of opportunities and plenty of times when drivers should have been penalized for certain things like stopping in the pit lane exit and then weren't. So I don't want to sit and have the debate of, well, their hands were tied. I know that there are pieces of the rule book that are at their discretion and they just pick and choose sometimes when they're going to be really strict on it and when they're not. And this was one of the times that, I don't think it was right for them to be that strict on it. I would, I would have, I would have understood if they had said, look, normally this is 10 grid spots, but it, you know, we're going to make it five because it was a freak accident. I'd be like, you know what? That's fair. That sounds fair. But I feel like I saw people in the comments that were like, well, Ferrari should have planned for this. Ferrari should have planned to have <laughs> the extra unit change. I'm like on the second to last race. What team is planning? Yes, I'm going to have a fresh engine at the very end of the season in my back pocket. No. Anyway, I actually think that F1 kind of viewed a lot of the like negative naysaying Vegas stuff as no bad press. Like there's no bad press. Even bad press is good press because it was, I think that they kind of viewed it in that light and were like, we're going to just forge on. Because this is ultimately going to be good for us because people are talking about it. I mean, my husband works in a hospital and he said that he had people, patients coming into the ER that were talking about the Las Vegas Grand Prix that weekend. <laughs> and he's like, what? And, and he and I have been fans for quite some time now. And he never hears, he almost never hears about it at work. And he was like, I've heard about it everywhere all weekend and it's just crazy and so i do think it accomplished an ultimate positive goal however sir i need to get that kidney back in you can you please sit down and stop talking about f1 <laughs> but and and mind you what they were talking about was the drain cover busting yeah. like that was that was the big i mean that was the big news so that's why i think they took a there's no bad press because now people are talking about us and um I, however, I will counter like counter that a little bit by saying, if you're going to have a race in America, maybe have it at convenient times for Americans, because even on the West Coast, with it with qualifying being at midnight and the race being at ten o'clock, even if I lived on the West Coast, that would be too late for me. And so, and that's just that again. This is my opinion. This is not. Mm -hmm. I don't speak for all Americans when I say this and I've had plenty of people tell me, well, this is how we feel every week in Australia or this is how we feel every week in Asia. And I feel for you. But when F1 goes to Australia, they're not racing at 3 a.m. your time. They're racing at normal hour in your home country. Overall, the race, great race, good race, okay race, bad race. I thought that the race itself come Saturday night that it was, was really good. I really enjoyed watching it. I actually appreciated that everybody was safe, specifically Lando, because I was a little scared when he went careening into the barrier. Oh, yeah. Um, but I appreciated that everybody was okay. Everybody was safe. That's the most important thing to me. It was really good racing. Shout out to Oscar Piastri and his awesome overtakes because they were really cool. And I felt like it made for really good racing. So like I, I, I support it 
coming back. 100%. I think it's, it was a good race. I think everybody had fun. I think that there was, I'm not, I'm not saying that I agree with Max's comments before the race weekend and going into it. I, I do think that he wasn't the only one that was speaking, not necessarily negatively, but just maybe constructively to say, Hey, we need to maybe think about how much we schedule, especially the drivers and the teams to be doing the week before, because they do still have to race over the weekend. And so I, I do think that that was probably really, especially when they don't have a week before, for the next race and they're like going out to Abu Dhabi right now. I mean, they're all there right now, you know? And I think that, I think that that part is hard. And so I, my heart goes out to them for all of the, um, um, and, and innumerable things that were going on that they had to be at. And I mean, I saw a million posts from just the drivers alone that were like, Hey, I'm popping up with this T-Mobile store. Hey, I'm popping up with this AT&T or Hey, I'm going to this thing. Come meet me at this thing. I'm like, normally there's like one, maybe meet and greet for like two hours where you can go and stand in line and meet a driver at the race the week Mm -hmm. before. There were a million of them and they're doing promos and they're doing appearances and they're doing all these things. And then they're expected to drive over the weekend. And I just think that was a lot. Um, And while it's a result of the sport being so popular, and I think that's amazing and incredible, I, my heart goes out to them and the respectful way that I think a lot of them voiced a desire to restructure some of that side of the scheduling because I think everybody can still have a spectacle and fun and circus and all the things and not kill themselves in the process of exhaustion because then they weren't getting back from the track until like dawn on Friday morning after all the practice stuff. So I definitely think that prioritizing their health should still be at the forefront. I'd say shave it back to 20 races. And if you want to increase the spectacle, go for it. But they need more time mm-hmm. in between in a lot of cases. And you shave it back to 20 races, increase the spectacle threshold, and see how it goes. Uh, I saw one article saying that Monaco, this Vegas, I think it was the race.com was saying that the Vegas Grand Prix proved that Monaco is past its time. And oh, Oh yeah, that's a hot take. That was an interest. It it was. Uh, how about the, this statistic? Um, as I put on my Sean Kelly hat, uh, ninety nine overtakes, fifty four of great them race. live on broadcast. The yeah. most overtakes in a dry race since twenty sixteen. Huh. Yeah, I was. I mean, it was great racing. I was shocked. I sat there the whole time, going, waiting for the lull that mm-hmm. inevitably happens between like laps 20 and 40 mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And there was only two safety cars and they, they, which I think there's plenty of races this year have had more than that. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty standard race, only three DNFs, uh, one crash. Yeah. Which honestly was shocking to me. I definitely right. expected after the damage that was sustained for there to be more DNFs than there were, but yeah, it was just a tense battle the whole time and i mean the the comebacks yeah the people that that fell to the back and rose to the top again 
It was amazing watching that. Yes. I do want to, and I don't know that we can put this in the episode, so do it this oh. as you will. But okay. for everyone that's like, let's stroll supremacy. Homeboy got a free pit stop with that safety car. Okay. <laughs> he was at the, the, he was at the pit entrance when they called it and they were ready. I mean, is Lance a good driver? That's a whole other conversation. However, I think that it's a little bit presumptuous to put his prowess on this finish because he is the only person that got a free pit stop in the race. And I think if any of them had a free pit stop, they would have probably done pretty well. My hot take, a goatee does not make a goat. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, that's such a good joke. <laughs> Honestly, when I first saw him from the opening ceremonies, I was like, someone get this man a razor for Christmas. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, absolutely not. Lawrence Stroll, if you need a beard consultant for your son, give me a call. I'm dead. So before we go, Caroline, I yeah. wanted to, this will already have been announced on social media before this episode airs, but... Let's throw it in the episode as well. I wanted to announce the three winners of the Old Art House Gravel Trap Art Giveaway. Yay! Drum roll. We have, and I love these names, Cosmic Bread on Instagram. Amazing. Whose real name is Sean. We have Gabby the Unicorn Cat, whose name is Gabby. Is 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 Gabby a cat or a person? I believe there are two beings in the photo. I believe Gabby I is the person. I, I okay. could be wrong though. Now that I think about it, yes, I'm like I think Gabby might be the cat. But if we didn't specify in the rules if a cat couldn't win, so yes, <laughs> if the cat lives with the person, then congrats to the person. Your right. cat won, and if you're, you you're... are named Gabby. And if you're both named Gabby, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and our final winner is uh, Chloe Norman. Congrats, Chloe. Yay. So Chloe, Gabby, and Sean, congratulations. Thank you so much uh, for entering into the contest and, and everyone who participated in that and all the lovely mm -hmm. comments on our uh, giveaway video. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I know Tom is really, I mean, you, you saw the final product, right? Did you see yeah, the actual painting? It's beautiful. It's amazing. You might've th thought it was weird that he waited so long to release it and he was putting final touches on it all the way up to the race. Mm -hmm. He put in the curb with the oh. playing card suits. Tom is so, so talented. I'm so impressed by him. That wasn't something that was public until I I didn't see it on social media. It was like until a few a days before. before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was able to add those those details. So I think, yeah, with how good the race was, the, uh, our winners are going to be cherishing that one. So oh, thank you, everybody. congrats, guys. That's so exciting. Oh, I can't wait to see your posts with your new art. Woot. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we look forward to talking to you guys after the very last race of the season next week, Abu Dhabi. Listeners, Christina was able to make some time to 
meet with us today. And we wanted to learn exactly what it was like on the ground in Las Vegas uh, firsthand. Please tell us, was it as as much of a, a I believe, shamble as uh, the news was reporting? It was in no way a shamble. Like that's a that's people being cranky and annoyed at this event. And at the end of the day, it was very well run. It had the kind of growing pains and iron, like things to kink, things to iron out that any first year event would have, but it was very well put together overall. I was very happy once I got to the track and once I went through everything. My biggest criticism was that, you know, for the price that I paid, as far as my ticket goes, it was very standard. It was very comparable to what you would get in Miami or Austin for a grandstand ticket, which when you're paying that much more and when you're told that it's going to be, you know, absolutely amazing, spectacular, the best thing that Formula One has ever put on, they were overselling it in that aspect. If you're going to say that it's going to be absolutely fantastic, you should be able to tell a notable difference between it and other tracks. So event-wise, they put together a really, really good one. Thursday night is forever going to be just a very unfortunate scar, but that wasn't the event planning that messed it up. That was Mm -hmm. the FIA that messed it up, that approved a track that should not have been approved, that provided an alternate solution to welding covers that was untested and then waited, you know, they effed around and found out essentially Mm. that it was not a suitable replacement (laughs) for something they had to do. Uh, But I was very overall happy with the event. So on that note, we talked about that Caroline and I earlier about the concrete collar failing when the, what it looked like a metal flange on the bottom of the cap broke through the concrete. I hadn't heard what you had just talked about there about this untested method Mm -hmm. and whatnot. What do you know about the choice to use concrete versus welding? So Nevada doesn't allow them to weld these things down. So, and they had, and that's where my big criticism comes from is that they knew that Nevada didn't allow welding and that they'd have to do an alternative method of keeping these things down. And these were not manhole covers either. These were water valves that had popped. It wasn't the mechanism that was holding the valve in place that failed. It was the whole framing around it. But all that to say, they really didn't do any tests. And it turns out from talking to other people is that there is no test that exists for these things, which in my mind is even wilder. Would have bringing in a couple of 2022 cars and having them run 50 some odd laps Mm -hmm. been helpful? Potentially, yes. Like something like that would have been helpful or even, you know, you (laughs) bringing in old cars to test it out, bringing in Sometimes you can even do tests like these in enclosed environments, not even at the track itself, but, you know, recreate what is this valve that we're going to be driving over and what kind of pressure and downforce can it withstand? But apparently that's not something that they do. They just kind of wait until the cars get on track to see if it works. Okay. Well, I was texting with uh, our friend Justin Reschke, and he was there as well. and. I asked him about the fans. What were their attitudes? What was the the mood, the hubbub, the the scuttlebutt around the water cooler? And he indicated every you know there weren't a lot of really pissed off people running around. It it, it wasn't as you know th- throughout whether it be the first night or the r- remaining nights. 
your fan interactions with other people, were they similar, comparable? Everybody seemed to be having a good time. I was mm. in the East Harmon zone, so around turn one, two, three, four, and everybody there was having a really great time. There was a DJ, people were dancing, people ha were just enjoying themselves. The crankiest people were was night one when all of a sudden that session got canceled and most people mm. left the track because, you know, you start hearing through the grapevine of, oh, this is going to get pushed back two hours. You're not staying up till 2 a.m. And like that was the crankiest people were. But generally speaking, everybody I ran into was fan-wise very happy. The locals of Las Vegas were understandably kind of at the end of their wits because this event has been inconveniencing them for months. And, you know, you very much hope that somehow it ends up working out for them better in future years because yes this year is going to be the most disruptive because they're actually building the dang thing and figuring out how to make everything work so hopefully in future it's not as big of an issue because you really do feel for them yeah i have i personally i, I have less sympathy than than they're asking for but i do understand <laughs> what you're saying i yes. it, the months leading up to this um, have been probably very trying, but I do think if you live in that city, oh, absolutely, uh, like expecting some disruption. I, I do wonder if they. I know they offered some kind of like deal for the locals to attend the race. Yeah, at one point, I, I don't know if that felt beneficial enough to take away some of the sting. Uh, definitely not. Most of the people mm -hmm. I talked to who were really annoyed by it were people who were fiscally impacted because they make so much money off of the strip whether that be people going places there or transporting like the ubers mm -hmm. when all of a sudden you have a large number of shutdowns it affects how much effort people are making to go to the strip it affects how much driving an uber driver can do how close they can get to their pickup and drop-off spots so it's I think that that is going to be a sting and something that's going to hurt for a long time because of how impactful it's been that, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before, but gig work mm -hmm. is very independent, very entrepreneurial, very decentralized. And when you have a centralized organization pairing with a city and saying, hey, we're going to disrupt this. If you worked for another organization, they could probably negotiate some kind of arrangement so that their employees could not be disrupted this way. But when you're with Uber and Lyft, I mean... Those companies, sure, I'm sure they could try and cut a deal with either entity, but really gig work, you're kind of on your own. Very so. much so. And realistically, Trax should be working with Uber. They had an issue where, yes, Formula One designated where pickup spots and drop-offs close to the track would be for Uber, but they were mistagged. And so a bunch of the cars would go to the wrong places and you would have to text them and say, hey can you please actually follow these instructions that they will give you and come to this other location? So that's a chip on like, that's a mark against them for one. But that's a thing that most races have to do better anyway, is their mm. Uber and lifts. So overall, I mean, you've been to Miami on year two, I believe, right? Yes. Okay. And you know, how would you rate this event as a first year event of its size and scope? I would give it like a solid eight out of 10, quite frankly. Like, Outstanding. Yes. No, event planning wise. And again, when I say event planning, I mean everything that is track side. So 
So everything that FOM themselves would take care of, that is what mm -hmm. I'm discussing. When I'm talking about event planning, I'm not talking about night one getting completely derailed because of a sporting aspect. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is a separate thing that I'm willing to be critical of, but that's not on FOM. That's not on the event planners themselves. The event planning... It had wrinkles, yes, but it was first year stuff. It was stuff like how many bridges, where are people going to be walking, what kind of traffic. And as well, so much of it is going to go more smoothly next year because of people who went to the event now were able to give advice to people going in year two, in year three. What hotels do as, does it make sense to go to? How does it make the most sense to get to and from track? Where are people wanting to walk that they're going to want to put more traffic control for? Where should they get shuttles to and from for? All of these things can be improved, and I'm very confident that they will be for next year just from the feedback that they get. They understand how the event is going to go more, and they're going to be better prepared. It'll be fine. I I do think next year is going to be, I think next year is going to look and feel like what they wanted this year to look like. Mm -hmm. I think the, the confidence gained, people are going to book, I, I, I think the hotel bookings are going to be is more expensive than they were the, the last minute ones that I know Justin, I don't know what your hotel was, but Justin was saying his was like, you know, 200 bucks a night. I think it's going to go way higher. Yes. But um, event aside, I'm sure you've gone back and watched the race. What did you think of the Formula One Grand Prix? It was, it was a good one. Like you had this was, I believe, the second most overtakes on a street circuit. I'd have to double check what Sean Kelly said about it, but I believe that's what he tweeted. So I have it right here. You have it, it right there, yeah. Ninety nine overtakes, mm -hmm. fifty some odd of them on camera, the highest in a dry race since twenty sixteen, and nothing's going to beat twenty sixteen. Mm -hmm. Because it was 170 overtakes at the Chinese <laughs> Grand Prix. No, the the one thing that I would say could have improved it was they knew that the track surface was going to be cold. So I would have loved for them to make that concession and say, let's do more than one formation lap. Let's do a couple of them and then start the race. Because as fun as it was, you know, to, to have that little bit of get your energy up chaos into turn one and see the car spinning and all that. It would have been, I think, much more interesting to not have all those cars have damage and to have them be a lot more competitive knowing what we know now. That was the one criticism I would have for how it all went race-wise. But aside that, it was really, really just stellar action. Is there a precedent for that multiple formation lap thing you mentioned? My big thing is that if they're willing to do it for water on track, they should be able to do it for temperature because both of those are environmental conditions that can affect safety like but is that something you fuel for you plan for and you'd have to fuel for hey we're gonna do a minimum or we're gonna do a maximum of three laps everyone fuel for an extra three i think that's something that yes they could have discussed with the teams and been like hey is okay. this something you guys would be game for i think it would have been beneficial i do think that it should be a contingency plan that should exist Okay, that's yeah, outstanding. So, are you are you going to be going next year? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, like that's. Uh, I'm very curious to see what changes, how things become better or just different in general. Like it's very, very, very curious about this. I will say though, my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite, but the thing that stands out to me that they did absolutely the best out of you know all of the basic things that you have at a track. Their televisions were phenomenal they were big mm. enough 
the resolution was good enough that you could see what was happening on the broadcast and actually read the timing sheets. Like you could tell who was in which position and what was going on on track, which I can't say that all of the F1 tracks I went to this year had. Mm-hmm. And like it, the fact that this track was able to have it and they're a temporary track in their first year it makes it kind of embarrassing for people who didn't have them properly figured out at other tracks. I did think the ones at Austin on track were a bit small. No, they were absolutely abysmal. They were the worst ones out of all three circuits I went to this year. Like ranking the trackside screens, it goes Vegas, Miami, Austin, which is horrendous because Austin is a permanent track. Those aren't permanent screens at Coda though. They bring them in for the event. It doesn't matter if they're permanent screens or not. They're a permanent track. This is right. something that they regularly have to put out. Okay. They should saying. have better. Like, just straight up. They should have better. Uh, but yeah, gotcha. it's... That was really, really good. That was the thing I was kind of most like, ah, I don't have to complain about this this year. This time around. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, All right. Well, it sounds like you're giving a budding thumbs up to the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. Yes. I've hesitated saying inaugural, um, but Caroline pointed out she did a little history of the whole F1 in Vegas. And the last one in the 80s was called the Caesars Palace Grand Prix. Yes. It has a different name. It's a different track. It counts as something different. It's like we're returning to the same city, but this is a new event. Like you can call it inaugural. It's it's fine. Like, well, then I absolutely will. People are being silly uh, about that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Christina, thank you so much for sharing with us your on the ground experience there. Uh, glad to hear you had a great time. And uh, we'll be back next week with the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Close out the year. You gotta sing it. Viva la podcast. Viva la podcast. No, but I'm using that one. (laughs) (laughs) What happens in Vegas goes on this podcast. That's really good.